But look at the next thing he says. What's the next thing he says? Uh-huh. Read it. Come on. From now henceforth, we no longer know him. That's what he's trying to say. So that means that Paul is teaching us that the way we will know Christ, right? That we will know Christ away from a natural standpoint. That is, we can only know Christ by revelation. We will only know Jesus by revelation. We will not look at the natural standpoint and say, Oh, do you know Jesus? He say, Yes. How is he? He's fair. How do you know? Uh, he has long hair. Are you sure? Some people come and say, uh, No, Jesus is, Jesus is an African. You say, Why? They say, they say it's the whites, the, you know, the white people that are distorting our view. Jesus is an African. He's a black man. And all those, uh, I don't know whether I should call it truth, but they look nonsense to me. You know, because the truth of the matter is that we cannot know Jesus, right? Or we don't know Jesus from a natural standpoint. Praise God. So he says, yet now henceforth, know we him no more. Praise God. Remember that the meal for the believer to be effective is the knowledge of the son. So let's ask this question. If the meal is the knowledge of the son, would it be the natural view of Christ? Huh? It will only be by what? Revelation. Now, theologically speaking, there are two kinds of knowledge by theology. Two kinds of knowledge. There is what you call sense knowledge and what you call revelation knowledge. Praise God. Now, what is sense knowledge? I'll tell you what sense knowledge is. Uh, now, sense knowledge is, I look at Pastor Fred and I say, oh, Pastor Fred, his birthday is when is your birthday? 6th February. I don't know his birthday. 6th February. That's because that's, that's a knowledge I acquired from listening to him, from being his friend. Right? Oh, I know what like Pastor was saying, Pastor Marcus was saying, that if they say that, they, Pastor, uh, they, they, they say that he, he cries, right, because of food, you say, no, it's not possible. Right? Because you know him. That sense knowledge, right? But there's another kind of knowledge which is called revelation knowledge. What is revelation knowledge? Revelation knowledge is knowledge as revealed by the written word. That's revelation knowledge. Revelation knowledge is knowledge as revealed by the written word. Do you understand? Is it clear? Is it clear? Okay. Why are we quiet? Are you tired? I heard you just, we just ate, right? We should not be tired, isn't it? Okay, it's a writer. <laughs> okay. So there is so there is revelation knowledge by the spirit. So I will know the Son of God, Jesus Christ, by revelation. A revelation by the written word, a revelation by the spirit of God. Is it clear? Now let's see Jesus Himself talk about this. Go to Matthew chapter 16. So, two things I want you to note down. Two things I want you to note down. The first thing is this. 
man cannot be known by the senses. That's the first thing. Man cannot be known by the senses. Senses means natural, experience, sensual, the senses. Did you get that? Or was I fast? I'll be fast though. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'll say it again. Man cannot be known by the senses. Senses, what senses means is natural, the flesh, na uh, natural. That's a natural before? No, okay. That's, you got it now. Now, that's the first. The second thing is that Jesus Christ cannot also be known by what? The senses. He would only be known by revelation. So both man and the Lord would only be known by revelation. Are you with me? Okay. Matthew 16. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16 verse 13. When Jesus came to the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Matthew chapter 16 verse 13. Okay, so Whom do men say that I, the son of man, am? So Jesus is asking a question that who do people say I am? Right? That's the same question about knowledge, isn't it? That's the same question about knowledge. Who do men say that I am? So let's see what he said. Verse 14. And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist. That's strange, to be honest. Why is it strange? Because both Jesus and John the Baptist were around at the same time. So it's strange. So he says, Some Elias, that's Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or some of the prophets. So the point is, the people of Israel, as at this time, saw Jesus as one of the prophets basically right that's how they saw him now this is looking at Jesus from a natural perspective also just one guy that just came that's like the prophet we have had one of them before stuff like that right but let's see so Jesus now asked his own disciples in verse 16 15 he said unto them but whom say he that I am? Now, and Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art what? The Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, some people, the way they interpret this text, they interpret this text very funny that maybe, so when Jesus asked his disciples, there was this thick silence. And all of a sudden, something just held Peter and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Well, no. <laughs> That's not what happened. Now, now, how do we know? Because of the next thing that Jesus said. So, verse 17. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for what? For flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. So Jesus tells Peter, flesh and blood. What does flesh and blood mean? It's the same thing we have been saying. Flesh and blood mean 
the senses, natural perspective. That is, look, what you just said about me cannot be gotten by just looking how I am talking or how I am speaking. No. I cannot be known from a natural standpoint. I would only be known by revelation. Praise God. Now, that means that when Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Why is this revelation? I tell you. It is revelation because that is the message of the scriptures. Are you there? It is revelation because that is the message of the scriptures. Praise God. So, that is why Peter, I mean, that's why Jesus said, hey, my father had revealed this to you. So Peter understood the message of the scriptures. Praise God. Peter understood the message of the scriptures and said, my father has revealed this unto you. So let's, let's, let's backtrack a bit. What is the message of the scriptures? The message of the scriptures is Christ is the son of God. Do you understand? Now, I don't know if you can remember in the last catechismus, I know I taught you about the concept of Christ. I don't know if anybody can remember that Christ is an office. Thank you, Pastor. <laughs> that Christ is an office for Jesus to occupy, right? You can remember, that's what I said. So, that is the message of the scriptures. The message of the... Now, what is scriptures? Pastor Marcus just taught us, what is scriptures? He just taught us now. Not entirely the old Bible. Before he got to the old Bible, he said it. The, uh, the Old Testament, the text of the Old Testament. Remember, he said that before he put it. So let's stay with that first. Praise God. So don't forget. So... The, so, so the message of Genesis to Malachi is Christ, the Son of God, or the Son of the living God. That is the message. And this is revelation. Praise God. Praise God. Now, look at what Jesus did. Immediately, Peter said so. Let's carry on. So, in verse 18, Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, he now says, and I say unto you, thou art what? Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gate of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, what does that mean? What I want you to observe is this. As Peter said the revelation of the Christ, pay attention to this. As Peter said the revelation of the Christ in the scriptures, Jesus did something. Jesus revealed the revelation of the church. He says, and I say also unto who? You, that's Peter now, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against now that means please pay attention that means now when he says upon this rock upon this rock is not peter upon this rock is what peter said praise god that is what upon what peter said 
as Jesus Christ, being the son of the living God, I will build my church. So guess what? That means the revelation of the son of God is the revelation of the believer. I would know my identity. I would know who I am in the knowledge of the Son of God. Are you following? I cannot know who I am. I cannot know what my purpose is, right? Or the purpose of God for my life without understanding the knowledge of the Son. Do you understand? Praise God. So that's what Jesus did. He says, That thou art Peter, and upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gate of hell will not prevail against it. So, yes. So this is what Jesus is doing. Jesus begins to expand what Peter said about him by revelation. Jesus begins to expand it, and he begins to explain this truth that Peter said. So let's see what Jesus said. So he says, so hold on, before we go further, that means that I as a person, I cannot know myself, right? I cannot know myself except I look at Jesus. That's number one. Number two, I cannot know myself by my experiences. I cannot know myself by my experiences. I can't. Any view I have about myself, any view I have about myself from my experiences is distorted. The picture of who I am is found in the sun. Are you following? The picture of who I am is found in the Son of God. So, you must understand that my experiences does not define me. Are you following? Okay. Now, so that's very important. Okay, I think uh, I, need, I, need to, I need to take my notes out so that I don't say things I'm not supposed to say. Okay, so now, so, what we see, first and foremost, is that Jesus revealed the church, right? As Peter revealed him. Right? Do you understand that part? Okay, that's good. Okay, now, now there's something I want you to pay attention to. In verse 17, Jesus called Peter blessed. Did you see it there? See, then Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Bajola. Now that means that Jesus called a man of revelation blessed. Blessing, pay attention. The blessing in Jesus' terminology is not money. Blessing in Jesus' terminology is not money, it is revelation. It's not money. Blessing in Jesus' terminology. Is somebody named called blessing? Yeah? Eh? Because the way I'm saying it, it's as if I'm calling somebody's name. But anyway. So Jesus said, 
Blessed are thou bad Jonah. So, a man of revelation is a man that is blessed. The revelation of the scriptures. Now, so, Peter says, Thou art the son of the living God. Then Jesus says, My father has revealed this unto thee. That means that the father reveals the son. The father reveals the son. The son reveals the believer. Do you understand? The father reveals the son. That is in the text of the scriptures of the Old Testament. The father does that. Then he comes to the son and the son says, your image is me. That's what Jesus, we're going to see that in detail shortly. So your image is me. Praise God. Praise God. So that means that every personal attempt, every personal attempt to even know God on your accord will fail. Every personal attempt to know God on your accord will fail. You will generate works. Somebody will tell you, ah, there's this man of God. He's in one village like that. Or he's in one mountain. Come, let's go there. We stayed there for 13 days. God will reveal himself to us. The truth of the matter is that you don't necessarily need to go to a place for God to reveal himself to you. Praise God. You don't. Because God has already, has already revealed himself. Hallelujah. So every personal attempt, the revelation of God is a gift to humanity. God does it. God's revelation is a gift to you. It's a gift. You don't work to get it. It's a gift to humanity. So, now, let me show you this. This same example of God revealing himself in the Old Testament. So go to Exodus chapter 6. Exodus chapter 6. Exodus chapter 6. Yeah, verse 1. Pay attention here. I'm going to say something very important. Now, before we read, what is it? But ensure you open your Bible, please, please. I know. But ensure you open your Bible, okay? So that I don't say something else. And you now say, yes, yes, right on. You say, eh, I know, sir, it's not there. Amen? So please, ensure you're just looking at your Bible. You know, pastor taught us about the Bible. It's to the end that we are opening it. Praise God. It's not just to the end that if we catch any, what do you call this? A bro crapper. I don't know the name. If we catch them, say, uh, Hell, straight. You are believing in Tobit. His name sounds very Nigerian. Like Tobit. <laughs> now, so before we before we before I show before we read what is here in Exodus chapter 6. Now, I want to say that in your work with God, I want to just this is just something that just came to my heart. In your work with God, understand that how you know him is actually in meetings like this. I'm telling you, it's in meetings. People that say, know God for yourself, go and check them. 
go and check it. Know God for yourself. That statement is so wrong. Is so wrong that if you believe in it, you decide not to go to church. The local church is God's system of learning. Learning him, not your private Bible study. Not your, uh -uh, not your, then it should not have been local church then. If God wanted you also to, then the ministry gift is pointless. Amen? The ministry is pointless. Why did God give apostles or prophets? It's for us to learn, isn't it? So, that statement should be put in a better context. Know God for yourself as you are being taught. Like the Bereans. You know, people call them the Berean Christians. They were not Christians. So they were not Christians so when they heard the apostles. They were not. It is when they read, when they heard the apostles, they went back, saw it was so, they now became Christians. When they met the apostles, they were not Bereans. I mean, they were not, don't say, uh, they, mm -mm, mm -mm. it's after they, uh, they heard them and they studied and they said, oh, okay, it's true. Praise God. Praise God. Do you understand? Okay, look at Exodus chapter 6. So the father reveals the son. So let's see an example of this. Exodus chapter 6. Exodus chapter 6, verse 1. I've not opened it. I know it's there, but I like to see it from my own Bible. Praise God. Sorry. Exodus chapter 6, verse 1. Then the Lord said unto Moses, Now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand shall he let them go, and with a strong hand shall he drive them out of his land. Now, guys, before I continue to read, when Peter said, please just listen to this. When Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God, the word Christ, right, is the word savior. That's the word Christ. That is, you are the savior who is the son of the living God, the Messiah. That's the word Christ. It doesn't mean anointed, right? It means savior. That's the meaning in the reading of the scriptures. The meaning in the reading of the scripture is that Christ is the savior. So now, take what I just said, savior, right? And bring it to Exodus, where we are reading. Exodus chapter 6, verse 2. And God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. And I appeared unto Abraham and unto Isaac and unto Jacob by the name of God, what? Now, that means that the way God revealed himself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is what? God Almighty. That's the, that's with God. Now, God Almighty means El Shaddai, right? It, it's meaning the double-breasted one. The one who can do, is all-powerful, basically. All-powerful. So he says, I told Abraham and, and Isaac and Jacob, this is who I am. He now says, but by my name, what? Jehovah. Now, Jehovah is not Hebrew. Okay? Jehovah is Greek. You understand? Now, why it is Jehovah in your Bible is because this is the, the, the Old Testament that you have in your Bible right now is what is called the Septuagint. The translation of the Hebrew right into the Greek of the Old Testament text. It's called the Septuagint. So, it's actually but by my name, Yahweh. That is what Jehovah means. Yahweh in the Hebrew. So, he says, but my, by name, Yahweh, was I not known to them? What is Yahweh? Now, I'm going to give you, I mean, um, 
I'm going to explain these things in two ways. Two ways. The first way is that I'm going to explain it in a baby format. Right? Then I'll now give you in a somehow solid format. Okay. Uh, do you have the Amplified? Show the Amplified. Let's use that. Let's see the Amplified of this text. Okay. No, not this Amplified. Not this Amplified. This is... Yes, yes, not this one. Okay, no, so, so I'm sorry, I can't explain. Maybe the Lord doesn't want that, so I'll carry on. <laughs> Who has an amplified version, the classic one? Who has it? Pastor has it? Okay, uh, somebody should give her the mic and let her read it out, I guess. Oh, they found it. Oh, great, they found it. So he says, but by, let me look at you. He says, but by my name, the Lord, what do you call it? Yahweh, uh-huh. So Yahweh is what? The redemptive name of God. That's what they amplify. Now, when you read that, you say, oh, what does that mean? Well, let me just put, connect two things. When he says Yahweh, who is Yahweh in the Bible, in the new covenant? Eh? 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 <laughs> eh, Jesus is God. Okay, Yahweh is God. Who is, uh, who is Jesus? Okay, so Yahweh is God. Yahweh is Jesus. Amen? So Yahweh, so that means, now pay attention, pay attention. That means, what do you think God is telling Moses here? He says, but by my name, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. So, God is revealing himself to Moses as Yahweh, basically, right? And he's standing, and now what, pay attention to what I'm about to say. What is the event that is playing out in Exodus right now between God and Moses? God is sending Moses to Egypt to deliver the children of Israel, right? Isn't it? So, in that deliverance, God revealed his name as Yahweh, right? Now, what does Yahweh mean? The Amplified shows us that Yahweh tells us it is the redemptive name of God. That is, God will redeem, right? He will redeem those who are in captivity, right? Now, in the context here, he's talking about the children of Israelite, Right? But in the message of the scriptures, in the message of the scriptures, what is God telling Moses? I will deliver men out of the bondage of darkness. Are you saying that is why it's called Yahweh? Huh? Do you understand? No. Uh, this is not a meeting where I need to explain myself a little. Well, I'll carry, I'll say, I'll. I'll try to rephrase myself. 
So Yahweh is God. God is Jesus, right? Good. So now what is happening here between Moses and God is that God is sending Moses to Egypt, right? Go and tell the children like, to come out of Egypt, to deliver them, isn't it? That's what God is telling him to do. So in that conversation, God says, I am Yahweh, right? And the Amplified tells us the redemptive name of God. Now, to redeem means to set people free. Do you understand? So in this, in the scenario that is playing out, God is saying that I will be able to set the children of Israelite free huh? because I am Yahweh. I can redeem. I can set free. Do you understand? Now, but this is the story, not the message. Huh? There is a message that is playing, playing out here, the message of the scriptures. Huh? In the message of the scriptures, what we are seeing is God is saying, I will redeem humanity huh? as Yahweh. Do you understand? Now, let's take it away from let's let's don't let let's that is what I just explained is basic. Now let's let's take it a, a bit, a bit, just a bit. Now Yahweh does not have any vowels. This thing that you are looking at here, eh? A E. I think that's a vowel, right? A E. It's not there. It is scholars eh, that put it there for us to be able to. You cannot pronounce it. It's actually Y H V H. Can you pronounce that? You can't pronounce it. And it's only used once in the whole Bible. This word Y H V H. I'm sorry. I'm really not used to this. Sorry. So it is. Uh, they highlight it. That's nice. <laughs> okay. So it is Y-H-V-H. So it doesn't really have, it doesn't really have a meaning, really. It doesn't have a meaning. But it's talking about the Lord. So, now if you study your Bible further, that phrase, Y-H-V-H, comes from a word called Ava. That one is in the Hebrew. Ava is H A. V-A-H H-A-V-A-H Ava That's the root word of this Y-H-V-H You understand? Oh, you can call it Yahweh I get you, you understand it now So So what is Ava? Ava means I will be That's Ava huh? Ava means I will be That is, it means to become Huh? I will become. It is what Bible scholars translated to I am that I am. Huh? It's a better way to call it is I will be what I will be. It's the same thing as I am that I am. So listen. Is it clear, guys? Okay. So he says, I will be what I would be. Remember, this is God revealing himself. This has nothing to do with Moses' efforts. This has nothing to do with Moses' experience. It has nothing to do to say, I am 40 years in the faith. That's why I know God. Omar, you can be 40 years in the faith and you don't know God. 
Do you understand? Experience does not have anything to do with revelation. It doesn't. So this is God revealing himself. So, so Ava means I will become, right? That's what it means. So the question we should ask is, the question we should ask is, what did God become? What did God become? Goat? What's that now? Don't be afraid. Don't worry. No thunder will strike here. <laughs> eh? Did God become a dog? So what did God become? Eh? He became man. Man. So what is God telling Moses in the message? God is saying, I will become man to deliver. That is his revelation. The revelation of God is that he appeared as a man. Praise God. I'll show you. I'll show you now. Some people are very, uh, like, they are like, we can't write the way you are talking. Have we? Manuela, can you write? You can't write the way I'm talking, have we? So God became a man, right? That is what this means. Yahweh means I will become a man. Let's see it. Let's see. John chapter 1. John chapter 1. So we're going to run shortly. John chapter 1. Oh, okay. Still have some time. So now, do you understand the basic and the revelation? Uh, just, just wanted to give you that information. So John chapter 1. For those who did not know, let me just say this here. Pastor Marcos was my disciple in Aquaibom. For those who didn't know, he literally handed over to me. <laughs> He's a For those who didn't know, I have a very long relationship with Pastor Marcos. So Pastor Marcos must be proud of me now that, ah, my son in whom I'm well pleased. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And it, uh, the fun fact again is that Pastor Marcos was the one that now introduced me to the rest of your pastors. Can you see? Door of utterance. <laughs> he opened it. <laughs> all right. Thank you, sir. And all the pastors. Okay, look at John chapter 1. So, so I'll just read a few verses, then we just get to where I want to read. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, right? And the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. So let's just go to verse 14. There are a lot of things there. But let's see verse 14. And the word was what? And the word was... Come on, come on. Let's read it together. Come on. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So he says the word became. The word was made is the word... You don't have to really write the Greek, but it means ginomai, to appear. You understand? The word appeared in the flesh. He manifested in the flesh. And in John chapter 1, he had already told us that the word is God. Right? So he says that God appeared in the flesh. Right? Now, 
in case you don't get it, see what he says. John, he's saying something here. He says, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 15, and John bear witness of him and cried, saying, this is what he, whom I speak, he that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. Now look at verse 16. And of his what? Have we all received grace for grace? What does that mean? It means that humanity was able to see the fullness of God as man. The fullness of God is man. The man named Christ Jesus. So the way we will begin to know God is to look at Jesus. Are you following? We will look at Jesus and contact the Father. We will look at Jesus and know God. I tell you a story of a man of God. Now, of course, I mean, he's, he's an elder in the faith. He's an American. We don't really, doctrinally, we don't really agree, but I like this testimony he gave. So, uh, it's, it's very popular, actually, in America. Very renowned theologian. I didn't just want to mention his name because people can get curious and go and search for it. You know, so. And so the man was sitting in a plane with a Muslim man. I just like the words he said. So, and they were, and the Muslim man was now praying before the plane took off. He was just praying. He said, for, uh, he was, whatever I pray, I was praying. So after the Muslim man prayed, the pastor now asked him that, oh, you are praying. Of what faith are you? He now said he's a Muslim. Of course, the man knew, but he was just trying to create a conversation with him. Then he now said that, uh, how are you sure that your God has answered you? Then the Muslim said, well, we don't know. We just, we just try, you know. Whether he answers, we don't know. Whether he answers, the day he answers, we're happy. The day he doesn't. That's what the, that was his response anyway. So the pastor now said, interesting. You know, you can say something is interesting, right? And you don't necessarily agree with it. You just want to enjoy the conversation. <laughs> so the man of God now said, interesting to him. Then he now said that, well, I know God. In fact, I spoke to him this morning. Isn't that wonderful? And the Muslim guy was like, really? You know God? And you spoke, yes, I know. He said, I spoke to him this morning before we got here. And of course, that led to the conversation about preaching the gospel to him. You understand? So what am I trying to say to you is that the believer has the ability now to know God. So we say, ah, are you sure God is too deep? Well, he appeared in his son so we can know him. Do you understand? We're going to go further on this when we look at the spirit of God. So, now do you see, now the point why we went to Exodus is to show you that God revealed himself, right? Nothing on your efforts can you do, right, to know God. Somebody will say, before I knew God, I stayed on the mountain 13 hours. And the heavens of Bishop knows how to do this. Bishop is like, he knows how to do this. I really don't know how to do it. <laughs> I, I, I labored. I pressed. I pressed. One day, the heavens now opened. You know? You know, when you hear that kind of thing, you'll not be saying, ah, God, wait, you know? Men of God, men of God say God went to miracles and all those things. 
Kind of people, when people are marrying, they say, God, when understand the difference. Say, ah, God, when we lie, when we lie, ascend. <laughs> There's nothing like that, really. Rev, see, if you're going to take anything home today, take that revelation knowledge is a gift. It's a gift. Given by God to humanity. Praise God. So God reveals himself. The father reveals the son. Praise God. Now, <clears throat> so let us, let us go back to Matthew 16 quickly. Matthew chapter 16. Say, I am blessed. Now, the reason why I'm telling you to say that is because revelation knowledge is coming to you. You say that now. No, it's not in me. It's not, I'm not praying. <laughs> It's not, I'm not praying. You know, you don't need to say amen. But okay, I get. You know, uh, you are very charismatic, like I am. When you say that, you say glory. You don't say amen. You are, you are being protestant, or I don't even know what you are when you say amen. <laughs> but you say pray. You, say, you know, if you grew up in the church I came out from, no, in the church I, start, I started learning the faith. When the pastor says praise God, we say glory to God. And if I say glory to God, we say praise God. It's just some new creation things that we like to say. It's not biblical. Don't, don't, don't. We're just happy. So, where did I say we should go? Where did I say? Matthew 16. Thank you. So, let's go back to there. Let's go back there. Matthew 16. So, the Father reveals the Son. Praise God. Now, let's see something again in Matthew 16. So, look at verse 18. So, Jesus says in verse 18... I say unto you, right? I say unto you. So, and we just said that in that revelation that Peter just said, Jesus speaks of our identity. Remember, that's what Jesus does. He speaks of our identity. And he uses Peter. Jesus uses Peter as an example. He says, I say unto thee, Peter. Right? So he's taking out Peter. And he wants to bring out Peter. Or he wants us to know Peter in the revelation of the son. Right? That's what he's doing. So he says, I say unto you, Peter. That Peter. Upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gate of hell will not prevail against this. Now, the point I'm, 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 I'm emphasizing here is that Jesus did not attach Peter's shortcomings. Jesus did not attach Peter's weakness to his knowledge, to knowing Peter. In fact, if we read on, you will see that Peter messed up. Peter messed up. Let's see. Let's quickly look at that one. Go to verse. Let's skip verse uh, 18 for now. <clears throat> and go to verse uh, 21. Let's just see that. We'll come back to that text. Verse 21. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and of the chief priests and of the scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then 22. Then Peter did what? Took him. How can you take the Lord? 
I don't understand how that guy did it. You know, because the word took him is a very sharp word in the Greek. It's rebook. He's like, come here. What do you think you are doing? How can you take Jesus? I don't understand. You know, sometimes when I think about it, I have a feeling, this is just, this is not theology. I just have a feeling that Peter and Jesus, I think age-wise, they were very close. So he was like, I'll give yourself brain. <laughs> so he took him and says, God forbid, I reject it. I burn every spirit of death in your life. I cancel it. I trample upon it. I kill it. That's exactly what he did. Honestly, that's what he did. Not, I'm not acting it out. That's what Peter did. So he says, and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, this shall not be unto thee. Now, but he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Now, a lot of people think, yeah, that or some people think that means that Satan took hold of Peter and no, 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 no. The reason why Jesus uses the word Satan, Satan in the, in the Greek, is not, it's not, they are not referring to the noun, yeah. It's not the noun, not a person or a being. They're referring, it's an adjective or an adjective, an expression to say, get thee behind me, Satan. Satan here means opposition. He is opposing something. That's what Jesus is doing. Say, by, you, by, by Peter saying that word, he opposed something in God's plan and purposes. That's the next phrase. Okay, let's read. Let's read. He says, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense. You see that? Unto me, for thou severest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. So the phrase Satan is that what Peter said is an opposition, right, to the things that be of God. So Jesus was rebuking the words. Not that Satan came. No, no, no. He's referring to an opposition. Something that is opposite. He says, For thou severate not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. So, even in Peter's shortcoming right here the opinion of jesus did not change very 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 important let me put it like this in the shortcomings of peter god's opinion about him did not change it's constant the way god saw peter did not change despite this that means revelation is eternal. Revelation is eternal. My experience, your experience, would not define how God will relate with me. This is very, very important. When you, this, what I'm teaching you is so important when you begin to serve the Lord. When you start the work of the ministry, you see. So, <clears throat> so the integrity of the word of God abides. It abides forever. It doesn't change. So, <clears throat> so let's go back again to verse 18. 
I, and I say unto thee, thou Peter, upon this rock I will build my church. And the gate of hell shall not prevail against it. So, Jesus, Jesus expands, Jesus expands what Peter began, begins to say. He expands it, he opens it up. Now, now look at the next thing. He says, and I will, verse 19, and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now, when Jesus expands what Peter said, I want you to understand that Jesus begins to teach Peter. Jesus begins to teach Peter his redemptive work. What he would accomplish. Because this statement is about his death and his resurrection. We just read it in verse uh, 21, right? He was speaking about his death and his resurrection, right? Do you follow? So, when he says, I say unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, when he says, I will build my church, when did Jesus build his church? Jesus built his church in the resurrection. Now, this, you know, this build my church is not like Jesus is, is building. Mm -mm, mm -mm. Like it is, he keeps building. You know, there's a song like that. I like the song, nice tone, but not, not in the world. Build your church, beautiful ground. I like the song, love it. I used to sing it, but it's not really in Christ, to be honest. That's the truth, but it's a good song. You can sing it. Good. <laughs> So it's a good melody. Because when he says, upon this rock, I will build, the word build is the word establish. The word build is the word establish. Like when you say, uh, for example, Near East was founded when? Who knows it? That is the word build. Yeah. It is founded, established. It's not an ongoing work. You understand? No. So Jesus is saying, I will build my church and the gate of hell would not prevail against it. Against what? Against the building of my church. Do you understand? Huh? The gate of hell would not prevail against it. So, and this is in the resurrection. So, in the resurrection, Jesus built his church. He established his church. Are you seeing that? The church is built and established in the resurrection. Are you following? Then he says, so when he says the gate of hell, the word Hades is hell, it means death, right? Death. So he's saying that, now, the word gate in, in, in Bible language means authority. Okay? So, now let's change it now. So it makes more sense. And the authority of what? Death, right? Would not prevail against it. So, so Jesus is saying, the fact that I'm going to die, right? Death wouldn't stop me from building my church. Why? Because I will be raised from the dead. Do you understand? Huh? So now write this one down. Write this one down. It means that the revelation of the church is in the resurrection. The revelation of the church 
is in the resurrection. Is not in the death. Uh-uh, uh-uh. The revelation of the church is in the resurrection, in the resurrected Christ. Are you following? Okay. So, he says, now, <clears throat> then he says, and I will give unto thee, what? The keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now, the word keys is, you know, a lot of people have taught this to say, you know, there are 10 keys of the kingdom. Number one, Bishop, help me. <laughs> Bishop knows this thing. Uh, <laughs> first fruit. <laughs> Thank you, Claude. These are the keys until you connect to three. You cannot connect to four. <laughs> Lie. Because the word, uh, it's not showing. the word keys, right, in the Greek is not plural. It's just one. And what it means is access. That's what it means. Access. Not key. Access. So you see all those theology just fall down. You understand? <laughs> you guys, you've alighted it. Anyway. So I will give you access into the kingdom of heaven. That's what he's saying. So in the resurrection, the believer has access. Are you saying that? He has access into the kingdom of heaven. Now, now this, is, this is going to be a personal study for you. Okay, because I think I've mentioned it here before. Kingdom of heaven does not mean a place. Don't look up. Uh-uh. Don't look up. Kingdom of heaven does not mean a place. Now, this is just for you to just go home and check it out. When Jesus rose from the dead, Jesus did a study for 40 days with his disciples. 40 days study in Luke chapter 24. Just check it out. Then when Luke was writing to another person or the same person in the book of Acts, Theophilus, Acts chapter 1, right? Theophilus, I mean, and Luke, Luke said that Jesus discussed with them the things that pertain to the kingdom of heaven. So that means that the kingdom of heaven was not a place. They were events, realities. So in Luke 24, Jesus discussed the realities. What are they? His death, his burial, and the resurrection. Do you understand? So the kingdom of heaven is the realities of his death, burial, and resurrection. Essentially the resurrection too. Huh? I remember in the last class I thought I said this, right? That the kingdom of heaven is the resurrection, right? Amen? I'm teaching from the last one. Praise God. It's a continuation. Amen. Praise God. So, I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now, he says, and whatsoever thou shalt bound on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt lose on earth shall be loose in heaven. Do you notice that since Peter said that this is what the Christ is, everything that Jesus has been saying has been the Do you notice? Everything he has been saying has been the church, you and I. That is the conversation. When God speaks, when God says, I want you to know me, what he is saying is that I want you to know you. 
is what God is saying. I want you to know yourself in me, of course. Are you following? The knowledge of the Savior, the knowledge of God reveals the believer's identity. You must never forget this. I can only find myself when I look into Christ. Are you listening? Praise God. Okay. We're going to examine all those, what, what it means. What it means. So, what is in? What is in Christ? Now, do you know that this conversation that Jesus had with Peter and Peter with Jesus, Peter documents something very similar to it in 1 Peter chapter 2. Let's see that one quickly as we carry on. 1 Peter chapter 2. Are you there? 1 Peter chapter 2. Now, look at verse 4. Verse 4. Now, it says, Coming to him, please, can you show me? If you want to show me this. Uh, I, I like the KJV more. I'm not Pastor Fred. <laughs> yeah. It says, To whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God. That's what he says. And precious. Now, yes, verse 5. Now, what's the next thing he says? You also. Verse 4 talks about Jesus. Huh? In verse 5, Peter now also talks about the believer. Now, don't mind the KJV. The KJV says lively stone. It's actually wrong. It's actually living stone. It's the same thing. Oh, they corrected the new KJV. Ah, they've disappointed me. (laughs) So, in verse 5, in the new KJV, it says, you also are a living stone, right? As living stones, you see that? The same thing. That means, listen, listen. That means, whatever is Christ's identity in the resurrection, the believer mirrors it. Understand it. The believer mirrors Christ's identity in the resurrection. That's why Peter says, you also, that is in the same way, in the same way, just as Jesus is a living stone, you are exactly that. He says, Ah, uh, what? I've been what? Built up a spiritual house. This is exactly what Jesus says that I will build my church. It's exactly the same thing. The word built there is the same word in. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. The same word. is the word, I don't know how to pronounce it, so forget it. I don't know how to pronounce it. <laughs> it's a long word, actually, in the Greek. But it means to, to establish. Are you following? To establish. So it says that you are a living stone. Now you may say, but it says being built. I saw it's continuous. Actually, no. Huh? That's not what it means. It's saying you are a living stone and you are built as a spiritual house. 
Are you, are you following? So it says, an holy priesthood. Oh, I didn't tell you today's topic. It's called the house of God. Sorry. I'm sorry. I don't do this. Sorry. Okay. The house, the temple of God, house of God. Yeah. So, uh, sorry. I'm sorry. Forgive me. So just write it up wherever you wrote it. Ah, this man just started like that. I'm sorry. Apologies. So he says, you also, as living stone, are built up a what? A spiritual house. A spiritual house. An holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. What does Peter tell him? Peter is saying, just as he is in his resurrection, we are like that. But one of the most important identification that Peter tells us is that it says that we are a spiritual house. Peter calls Peter calls people spiritual houses. What a spiritual house means? Spiritual house means house of the spirits. Because the word spiritual means spiritual. That's what it means. <laughs> Actually, that's what it means. It means the things of the spirit, basically. It means of the spirit, by the spirit. It does put any preposition before spirit. That's what it means. In, by, of, for, in the spirit. So when he says, so he says we are a house by the spirit, a house in the spirit, a house for the spirit. Whatever you want to put within the spirit, whatever works. That's what it means. So that's what we are. We are a house. Now pay attention to that. So the man in Christ, the man in Christ bears the form, nature, and character of his savior. The man in Christ bears the form, nature, and character of his savior. His experiences are not considered. His experiences are not considered. So, there is a picture that God has about you. That picture is found in His Son. He does not consider whether you have prayed whether it's good to pray, but he doesn't consider your prayer life. He doesn't consider your, 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 your fasting life. No, it's good to do all those things. It's good to fast. It's good to pray. It's good to study the Bible. Those things are good. But those things are not tied to who you are. Your nature is permanent in Christ. It's a gift. God. I want you to say this. Say, I am what he says I am. I have what he says I have. So, in the Son of God, in the Son of God, the believer is perfect. Praise God. You are afraid. Say, I'm perfect. Say it. No, say it. Say it very well. I am perfect. That's what the Bible says. You say, ah, but, ah, ah, huh. man of God, you don't know what I did today, oh. Ah, you don't even know what I've been doing all my life. Are you born again? 
Are you a new creation? The Bible says you are perfect in the sun. God doesn't care about your experiences. Amen? God doesn't care about your experiences in calling your name. <laughs> you know, people say on the last day, we're going to stand, all of us, on a queue. The old world, all of us will stand and they'll be calling your name. Call her. You think that's the name? You think your, your biological name is what? A name, given by, a name given by man? You think that's what God will call you? <laughs> so all of us will queue. Just imagine somebody who was a Christian, I mean, was a Muslim. And he changed his name to from Nuruddin. For those who don't know what Nuruddin is, a Muslim name, to Isaiah. And you now get there. Say, ah, what's your name? Isaiah. Ah, he's not there. Oh. <laughs> say, why? He said, ah, where? He said, did you change your name? It's Nuruddin we have here. Say, ah, my name is Nuruddin. Ah, no, no, no. You are misrepresenting somebody. You can't, you can't enter the kingdom. <laughs> Go and bring Emily and be David. <laughs> There's nothing like that. You see, the name in the... Let, let, me just, let me just give you a perspective. The name in the book of life is righteousness. That's what he called you. That's what it means. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. So God will not be looking... So do, you many, do you know how many colors in the world? Oh, let me do. Do you know how many names? So how many people we are? And the Bible says the rapture is a ticket of an eye. That cannot be a ticket of an eye. Oh. <laughs> if God is going to look at all the, everybody in the whole world. So, the church is called a living stone. It means that you are alive. That's what it means. Living. Alive. You are alive. Jesus saw Peter's weaknesses just few minutes ago few minutes ago and yet Jesus view about him did not change praise God praise God so God calls you the name that you are identified in the son that's what he calls you he calls you the name that you have identified in the son and it is permanent praise God Praise God. And you know, the prophet Isaiah says that no word of God, right, returns to him null and void, right? He doesn't change. God doesn't change, God doesn't change his opinion. You know, some people think that today God is good, tomorrow God can be bad. That's not true. God has a consistent character. He's forever good. Praise God. Now, <clears throat> let's see something very quickly. Go back to Matthew 16. We're really going to stay there a lot in this teaching. Matthew chapter 16. Now, in Matthew 16, I'm the one that's not there yet, but okay. There. In Matthew 16, when 
Jesus begins to expand what Peter says. Now, the word in verse 23, go to verse 23, please. I just want to emphasize some things I skipped. And I want to emphasize that before we go. He says in verse 23, he says, For thou severest not the things that be of God. The word severate is the word observe or judge. That word severate in the KJV, really. So, Jesus is saying to Peter that you are defining me or you are resisting the will of God emotionally because Peter was emotional he's his Lord he, didn't want, he doesn't want Jesus to die do you get to it was emotional so uh, Jesus was saying that his sense of judgment is an offense his sense of judgment is an offense so if that is the case right Peter's opinion contradicts God's opinion now which one stands your own opinion about yourself or God's opinion about you? Which one? God's opinion about you. Revelation supersedes experience. Revelation supersedes experience. Some people may sing lovely songs, nice songs. But those songs, they can actually be an offense. They can actually be an offense. They are opposition. For example, when somebody tells you, you know, they sing this song, uh, you know, there's something that makes me, I don't know how to, presence, you know. You don't come into the presence of God. You don't. Praise God. That is an offense. There's this song back then we used to sing many years ago when I was you know, a teenager. Very many, many, many years ago. We used to sing this song. Uh, I don't know, maybe it's an SU um, song or this, you know, scripture, you know, SU song. You see? Uh, yeah. Eternal life. Lord, I want to. I don't know what song again. Who knows that song? God save my soul. Uh-huh. I want to see life. You want to see eternal life? Dear people. Exactly. Thank you, Brother. That, that, that's an offense to the gospel. That's an offense to the reality of who you are. Are you there? Or a song like, there's this one, change my heart, oh God. Change your heart. You are a new creation. Change your heart. The Bible says in Ezekiel chapter 36, it says, I will give you a new heart. Why do you, why? That's an offense. You know, some people used to tell me that I should stop criticizing some songs because of the creative effort of the writers. I'm not really criticizing the writers. I'm just criticizing the words, right? Because I know 
people forget, people remember songs more than the teaching of God's word. You remember songs more. And when you sing songs like that, you're, you are confessing actually. That's what you're doing. Praise God. So, I, I, do you know this one? Um, uh, Lord, prepare me. Abba. No. That's not it, okay? Say, why? Let me tell you how to sing that song. That song is a nice tune, nice melody, but wrong words. The Lord has made me a sanctuary. I am pure and holy, justified and true. Not tried and true. Mm -mm. You are not tried and true. If you are tried and true, there's no point of salvation. Because he has tried you. Ah, you are past it. Okay, you are now true. That's works, Abby. But we are, he has justified us. Praise God. Praise God. Okay, now let's, let's, um, let's take this a bit further into what we are studying today. Now, so go back to Matthew 16 and let us open those words. You know, as, you know I think I mentioned to my final hour, so let's just move quickly. What's that? Final hour, right? Someone want to say final? Want to say final minutes? No, it's hour. <laughs> it's hour. Okay, so let's go on. Okay. So he says, verse eighteen, and I say unto thee, thou Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. I will build my church. So now. The word build is actually the word edify. Now, I use the word establish, the same thing, but I just want to give you the biblical interpretation of that word. It's the word edify. Edify. So, it's, so when you say, I want to edify a brother, right? It's like you say you want to help him be better, right? I want to help him. So, Jesus looks at in his resurrection, Jesus is saying that I will make humanity better as the church. That's what he's trying to say. Huh? I will make humanity better. Now, so, now, then he goes further to say, and, uh, and I will give unto them the keys of the kingdom, which I told you. Now, Keys is access. Access into the kingdom. Kingdom is authority. So Jesus is saying the church would have the authority of heaven on the earth. Jesus will have the authority of heaven on the earth. I will give you access into that. So we have access right into God's authority. Say I have access into God's authority. Now, and why Jesus rebuked Peter that Ashley? Because he was trying to stop God's plan of allowing the church coming to that. That's why Jesus says, get the behind me. Because his statement was an opposition to God's plan. Praise God. 
Now, so he says, and whatsoever thou shalt bound on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt lose on the earth shall be loosed in heaven. The reason why I'm going back, I've passed my notes. I mean, I've passed all this past in my notes. I want to get to somewhere in my notes. Now, since we have established that our revelation is found in Christ, right? Our identity is found in Christ. Let me ask this question. Or let me say this better. I think it's better I say it. We have been taught a lot of times that we are meant to be like, be like Jesus, be like Christ, be Christ-like, be this, be that. But do you know that the Bible never teaches us to be like him? Yes, I'm going to show you. The Bible never teaches us to be like him. <laughs> he said, ah, are you sure? Yes, I'm sure. Most times in the body, we have taught imitation rather than identification. Now, you, your mind may be going to a particular scripture in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, that says, Be therefore followers eh, of God. But don't stop there. Because the word followers is the word imitate. But don't stop there. He says, Be therefore followers of God as their children. So he tells you why you'll be a follower of God. It's because you are a child. Identification. Do you understand? Huh? So, we have dwelt more. Right? We have taught imitation rather than identification. The Christian life is lived from the identified life. That is where it is lived from. In the gospel, you are not to become something you already are. In the gospel, you are not to become something you already that thing. Identification speaks about revelation. Identification speaks about revelation. Imitation speaks about your experience. Imitation speaks about your experience. Another place where they get this imitation from is Romans chapter 8. Go there. I'm going to be fast, very fast now. Go to Romans chapter 8 because I'll be quoting. So you have to be fast. Uh, be fast. Romans chapter 8 verse 29. Verse 29. Are you there? Look at what he says. For whom he did for no, he also did what? Predestined. Now, people miss it because they say 
to be conformed to the image of the Son. The first thing I want you to see, two things I want you to see, is that the word, now you may not see it yet because it's, 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 a, it's a slide or whatever this is. The word to be, there is italicized, right? In the KJV, it is italicized. That means in the original writings, it was not there. They put it for maybe further explanation. Sometimes it's always wrong. Now, so he says, for whom he did for no, he also, so take away the word to be, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate, conformed to the image of his son. Now, the word conformed, yeah, is not a process. Huh? Exactly. So it's not a process. This word conformed. Now, there are two words of conformed, two words in the Greek that now put your hand here. And go to Romans chapter 12. Quickly, quickly. Go to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Are you there? That's true. Romans chapter 12. Verse 1. And be not what? Conform. These words are different. They are different words. There are different words in the Greek. This one, in Romans chapter 12, deals with a process. Huh? The one in Romans chapter 8 is something that is instantaneous. It's the word fashioned like. Fashioned. Fashion like. Please go back to Romans 8. So he says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. Now, he's saying that God, right, foreknew, right, us, then predestinated us, right, as what? To be in the image of his son that he that's the son now that's jesus might be the firstborn among many brethren the word firstborn that word firstborn means prototokos in the greek p-r-o-t-o-t-o-k-o-s p-r-o-t-o-t-o-k-o-s is the word prototype that's where it's that's where it comes from prototype so Paul is telling us that everyone, right, that is found in Christ is, right, has been made in the image of the Son. Not a process. Not that you will be made. No. Because conform is talking about something that happens now, instantaneously. Okay, let me show you where it was used. Go to Philippians chapter 3, where this word was used. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verse 21. Philippians chapter 3, verse 21. Okay, 
Because I want to be fast. Guys, not fast. Anyway, so Philippians chapter 3, verse 21. He says, it's talking about the changing of our bodies, right? So he says, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like? Right? Unto his glorious body, according to the working, whereby he is able to even subdue all things unto himself. So he's saying that our bodies at the resurrection, when Christ comes again, right? Our bodies will be changed. Now, this is not a process. It's something that will happen like this. Do you understand? So, confirmed in Romans chapter 8, he's saying that in the resurrection of Jesus, right? We exactly became, we're not to copy Jesus. No. His character, his character is already the nature of the believer. His character, the character of the Christ is the nature of the believer. So we're not going on a journey. No, I'm not on that race with you. I'm not. Because you are, maybe you are running. I don't know what you want to get while you are running. There's nothing like that. You don't agree? It's in the Bible. So, conformity is not a process. Right? We are like the Son of God. Go to Hebrews chapter 2. I want to establish this quickly. Hebrews chapter 2. Go there very quickly. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 13. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 13. He says, uh, go to verse, from verse 10. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. Let's start from verse 10. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. He says, For it became him for whom are all things, and, and by whom are all things, in doing what? In bringing many sons unto glory. To make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. You see, some years ago in my life, right? After I had contacted revelation knowledge, something happened to me. I used to think that if there's a particular time, God will release a fresh revelation. I used to follow that, you know. So when I hear maybe one teaching that is popular in the body, I may say, this is what God is saying now. This is what God is dealing now. I will follow it. But I didn't know that I was being tossed by every wind of doctrine. That's how a brother came. Back then, Nakwaibom, my father and the Lord has left. <laughs> and the guy came. I was even sharing this thing with a, with a brother, you know, some weeks ago. And there's this song they used to sing. <gasps> you see? Elion, I want to be a son. Elion, I want to be a son, son. Ah, when you hear that thing, Wallah, you want to be a son. <laughs> Elion, I want to be a son. Elion, I want to be a son. Ah, and you are hearing Elion. You know what I mean? Elion. It's very holy. 
I'm telling you, I'm not, I mean, I'm going to be in that ministry together. I'm serious. So I followed that, I, I follow that doctrine. I taught the doctrine. I taught it. Because I would teach it, people will not be crying. If you don't cry, uh, oh, they would think you are not a believer. <laughs> That's how, but God had mercy on me. Because there was one brother, his name is Shegun. There were two, Shegun and Dami. This is me that I've taught new creation. Ah, so I was caught. I said, I, I felt that God has left that. This is what God is dealing now. Dealing. Don't, this is the hot revelation now. So I embraced it. So Shegun just came to me Monday. He said, Emoji. You know, that time it's a quite bomb. All of us are emojis there. He said, Oh no, God. Are you mad? I'm actually telling you what he said to me. I'm quoting him. I'm not, this is not, I'm not paraphrasing. I'm actually quoting him. I later realized that that statement is actually biblical. Galatians 3. Why are you so, is there? Yes. I later realized that he was actually right to call me that. Because he said, see, have you not read John chapter 3? Behold, now are we the sons of God. That's what he says. First John chapter 3, rather. He said, what manner of love has the Father bestowed upon us? That's what he calls it. It's a manner of love that we might be called the sons of God. He said, behold, now you are sons of God. Praise God. So, there is no process of sonship some people even teach that you go from child to a son is grammar. That's not a biblical problem. Yes, stature to fullness. That is grammar problem. A child to a son. Are you okay? Hear yourself. It's like I should look at exploits and say exploit is just a child. She's not a daughter. Man of God, am I... There's nothing like that in scripture. That we are, we are on the process. God is going to make us. We are going to take sure. He's going, no, 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 no. Every repair, every recreation, every restoration, he did it in his soul. He did it in Calvary. He did it in Calvary. That is what this state is saying. He said, for it became him. For whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing what? Many sons into glory. Look at it. To make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. Look at the next phrase, verse 11. For both he that sanctified and they who are sanctified are what? All of one. Now, to explain what that means, he now says, for which cause is not ashamed to call us brethren. Do you know what that means? He's saying that you and Jesus, the word brethren is the word Adelphus. That is, we came from the same womb. We are alike. We are alike. So God, Jesus is not ashamed to say, brother. He's not ashamed. Look at the next verse, verse 12, please. Saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. 
in the midst of the church, I will sing praise unto thee. Are you listening to what I'm saying? So, do not ever think that in your relationship with God, right? In your relationship with God, you have a sort of distant relationship. No! You are a son, just as the son. There is no distance. Hallelujah. Praise God. So we say, but uh, I still, I still struggle with sin. See, let me tell you something. The fact that you just said you struggle with sin is because you don't understand what has happened to sin. It's a knowledge problem. You have to know what has happened to sin. The ba- and what has happened to sin in your life? The Bible says in Romans chapter 6 verse 1. Romans chapter 6 verse 1. It says, how shall we, right, who are dead to sin, continue daring? Let's see it. Okay. This is verse 1. He says, no, 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 don't go, don't go to verse 2. I know that's verse 2. But then let me show you from here. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Is this a question? Eh? No, it's a question. It's a question. It's a question. Right? So it has an answer. Eh? It has an answer. Verse 2 is the answer. So Paul is saying, God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? That means Paul is saying that the reason why you cannot continue in the sin is because first and foremost you are dead. You are not alive to sin. Are you, are you seeing this? You are not alive to it. He says that are dead to sin live any longer therein. Look at Look at verse 3. Let, let me just read that to verse 6 for you so you, you get the picture. You know, I just felt led to say that. Look at it. Let me, let me, let me give you the full picture of that Romans 6. I read it from here. Yeah. So he says, Know ye not, verse 3, Know ye not that so many of us we're baptizing into Jesus Christ. We're baptizing into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That as, that, that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in the newness of life. Verse 5. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. So the believer has long left the domain of sin. He has left where sin has dominion over him. He's now in the dominion of life. The dominion of the spirit of God. He needs to know this so that he can walk in victory. Do you understand? He needs to know that sin has no longer control over his life. Are you listening to this? So, you cannot say 
that I'm struggling with sin. No. Rather say, I am dead to it. That is the testimony of the believer. I am dead to sin. Some people say, God cannot use me. God cannot. Say, why? Ah, if you know the sin I've committed, shut up your mouth. If God is taking score sheet, right, of, 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 of our transgression, who will stand? No one. But the Bible says, but forgiveness is with him. So it's not about your shortcomings. I want you to understand that in your relationship with God, your experience is not in question. Whatever your experience is, that is not how God relates with you. That is not how he relates with you. He can't. He will relate with you as his son to a father. Do you understand? If God is going to relate with you with your sins, then you cannot pray then. You will not be able to pray. You will not be able to fellowship because you will be filled with guilt and sin consciousness. But he will relate with you as a son. Praise God. Praise God. So, so in the resurrection, whatever Jesus became, we became it. Whatever Jesus became, we became it. We became it. The, test, the, 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 the Old Testament scripture, Genesis to Malachi. The Bible, we, we, uh, Bible theologians or Bible teachers say, oh, it is Christocentric. I'm, I'm sure you must have heard that before. It's Christocentric. The truth of the matter is that, yes, it is Christocentric. But when it comes to the Christ, right, the Christ to us is that he is believer-centric. He's talking about you. Jesus talks about us. Reason? Because we are his delights. We are his delights. Do you know the church that had a lot of sin? Do you know which church is? Do you know that church? The Corinthian church. Do you know that if you read that church, if you read it, you will notice that Paul, right, in correcting them, did not dwell on their sin. He says, in every correction, he says, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? Every time they make the transgression, he will say, know ye not. Why? Because the solution to bad conduct is the knowledge of who they are. Every time, every time, go and read it. Every time somebody was slept, his mother's wife, somebody, they, they are not, uh, uh, they are not, they are, there's division in the church, right? Paul will tell them, he said, can't, can't, don't you know you would judge the world? Why are you carrying your matter to, to outside? He will tell them of their inheritance every time. Look at James. So, our Christian life is not lived by imitating the Lord. No. Our Christian life is lived 
because we are identified with him. Look at James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Verse 22. But be doers of the word. And not hearers only. Deceiving your own self. So it tells us to do the word. Verse 23. For if any be a hearer of the word. And not a doer. Pay attention. He says. It's like unto a man. Beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholded himself. And goeth away. And straight away forget what manner of man he was. Verse 25. But who's looked into the perfect law of liberty. And continued daring. He be not a forgetful hearer. But a doer of the work. This man shall be blessed in his deed. Do you notice. That. To do the word, the answer here is to continue to look. That's the answer. Continue to look. Because he says the word deceiving yourself is the word paralogizomai in the Greek. What it means is to, to misrepresent yourself. That's the word paralogizomai. To misrepresent yourself. It's from the word logizomai. Logizomai means to identify, to know yourself. So when you use the word para beside it, it means that you are misrepresenting yourself. So James is saying that anyone who stops looking at the word, that is, he doesn't do the word, he would misrepresent himself. He would misrepresent himself. Why? Because the word of God would reveal you. So if you stop looking at the word, right? If you stop looking at it, you will look at something else. And that will now become your image. Are you following? So, so paralogism mind means to miscalculate or reason falsely. So, a believer that does not take his image from the word of God, he will take on another image that is not him. Are you following? Praise God. So, go, back, go, go to 1 go to, um, Peter again. 1 Peter. I just want to start what I want to teach. I just want to start. In the next few minutes. Don't worry, that part is short. I just want to start it. So he says in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, You also as living stones are built up a spiritual house. Now, the word house is the word oikos in the Greek. O-I-K-O-S. House. That word, house. Oikos means family. Family. That's the word. So, Peter is defining the believer. He's saying we are members of a spiritual family. 
a family by the Spirit. A family from the Spirit. So, if it is a family, it means that we will have the same DNA as the progenitor, right? Right? We have the same DNA. Now, so, that means already the concept of sonship does not deal with becoming anything. It just deals with to be born. Right? To take on the character of the father. To take on the nature of the father. You don't need to become. You just need to be born into the family. The moment you are born into the family, right? You have taken on that character. Right? You have taken on that nature. So he says, we are a spiritual family. Now, Jesus has used it in John chapter 14. Go there. John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Jesus has also taught this. John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Now he says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Now, Jesus begins to teach his disciples between John 14 and John 16 what we can call a message of faith. A message that, a message to believe based on the fact that he will be raised from the dead. This, that's the basic thing. That's what he was teaching. That because he is going to disappear from their midst, he's going to die. Do you understand? And he was still saying, oh, you're going to be sorrowful, you're going to be sad, and things like that. So he begins to comfort them, right? He begins to comfort them with this message. But in this message contains the reality of who we are in Christ. And that's what I want to show you. From the concept of that we are a spiritual house, a spiritual family. Okay? So, so in John 14, now before John 14, I want us to go to John 13. John chapter 13. John 13, verse. John chapter 13. Verse 36. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whether goest thou? Jesus answered, Whether I go, thou canst not follow me now. But thou shalt follow me what? Okay. So Jesus tells him, you can't follow me now, but you follow me after. Okay. So let's go to John 14 now. So in verse 2, he says, In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Now back then, I used to think that this scripture is talking about heaven. Right? But it's not. It's not talking about heaven. First and foremost, heaven is not there. Did you see the word heaven there? So it's not heaven. Okay. That's the first thing. It's not heaven. So some people say, you know, there was a, a lady who had a vision. I don't know if you know the story. And she said that she saw a vision, you know, of heaven. And you know how many of you have heard those stories that God is building houses? Eh? Have you heard it? 
some 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 people some people have you know duplex some people uncompleted building and things like that you know you know you know the story right so this lady said this lady said she saw the vision as she saw um, she saw her own house you know and her own house I think they've not she doesn't have a roof in her own house and she was telling the church like a testimony like that ah hmm, brethren we have to be strong in the Lord you know that kind of thing she was giving an account of her vision so and she was this spiritual sister huh? spiritual you know when a spiritual sister is telling you that our own house there's no roof you that you are there I don't know what you I don't know what you have <laughs> no you you are not born land you're probably a, a beggar in the street of heaven doing bambiala I beg, I beg just two nights man just stay <laughs> so so the lady was saying this vision then all of a sudden she now said in that vision and it began to rain the funny thing is that how does it rain in heaven do you understand it's like those people who also say that they saw hell and they saw people that have earring and in hell abba 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 how do you see that in hell earring where I thought the physical body dies on the grave and it perishes. So anyway, the reason why the reason why people get all those ideas is because of this text. Because they say there are mansions in heaven and things like that. But that's not what that's not what is here. So let's just read it to just understand this. So it says, In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. I go to prepare a place for you. So he says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That, that what? There you may be also. The very question we should ask is, where is Jesus? That's the first question we must ask. Where is the Christ? Where is the Christ? Now, in verse 2, when he says, in my father's house, right, is actually the same word in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. We are a spiritual house. Same word, okay. Are you there? Huh? So now, <clears throat> now, Oikia refers to household. Huh? Household. Now, I, I would like us to change that. When he says, in my father's, let's change it to household, right? So now, when you change it to household, does it change the picture? Household will not be referring to a building, right? Household will be referring to people, right? People, isn't it? So, Jesus is saying, in my father's household are many mansions. If we were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. Now, 
Now, the word mansion is the word mone, M-O-N-E. It means dwelling. Dwelling. It means where I abide. Where I abide. So, Jesus is saying, please, some of you are being distracted. I want your attention to be where we, to be here, please, okay? Just be here. I know we're, you know, we're taking a lot of time, but just hang in there. I'm almost done, to be honest. Believe me. Now. <laughs> Believe me, I'm almost done. So, he says, so Jesus is in my father's family or in my father's household, there are many dwellings. That's the word mansions. There are many dwellings. There are many dwellings. Now, put your hand here and quickly go to Ephesians chapter 2. Put your hand here and go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. He says, We are the household of God. That word household again is the word oikia. So, Paul tells us that the believer is God's habitation. That's what Paul tells us. The believer is God's habitation. A member of God's family. Look at verse 20. And are built up. Oh no, sorry. And are built upon the foundation of the apostle, the prophet, Apostle and prophet, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together great unto an holy temple of the Lord. An holy temple in the Lord. Verse 22. In whom also are built together for what? An habitation of God through the Spirit. So Paul says that the family of God are people. It's not a building. People. Okay? So in the family of God, who are the habitations? Who? Men. Right? We are God's habitats. God's habitats. Now go back to John 14 now. John chapter 14. So, so Jesus saying in my father's household. So is Jesus talking about people now? Huh? People. He says, so household is not a place, right? It's not a place. It's a people. Now, so now when you read in my father's household, what comes to your mind? So, is it not sonship or family? Huh? That's what comes to your mind. Family or sonship. So, so you will not, our mind will not go to a place at all or a building. Our mind will go to a people. A people who God inhabits. 
Huh? You know, there's a song, it says, God inhabits his praise. It's a lie. God does not inhabit praises. Huh? God inhabits people, men. Huh? Praise God. Say, inhabits the praises of men. Mm -mm. He inhabits men. So, <clears throat> now, so where does God, where does, so he says, and if I, Say, my father's house, he I go to prepare a place for you. Now, another reason why this cannot be heaven is that when he says, I go to prepare a place, right? It means that I am going to make room, right? That's what it means, to prepare. I will make room for you. Huh? I would make room for you. So, if it is heaven, you see that heaven is dirty, that he wants to now sweep it and make it clean. No. So he's saying that wherever I am, I am going to make room for you. Isn't it? So, <clears throat> where is he? Let us read verse 6. No, let's read, let's read verse 3. He says, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. He says, and whether I go, you know, and the way you know. Now let's run to verse 9. Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long time with you? And, and have I been so long time with you? And yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how said thou then show us the Father? Verse 10 now. Believe it thou that thou know that where? I am in the Father. Uh-huh. And the Father in me. I speak not of myself, but the Father dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. So, where is Jesus in the Father? He's in the Father. So now, so when Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you, which means I'm, I'm going to make room for you. What does that mean? I am going to make room for you in the Father. Are you seeing that now? I will make room for you in the Father. Now, in case you don't, you don't understand. Now, 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 some people believe that, you know, I don't know if, I don't know how long you have uh, listened to wrong nonsense. Because I have, and you know, the Lord has helped me. Some people tell you that you have the Son of God in your spirit right you need to have him in your soul and you have to have him in your body that's rubbish that's also rubbish so you have to pray for the son of god to be in your soul you know to inherit no no that's rubbish doesn't even make sense so <clears throat> now so in john chapter 14 now look at verse 21 or 20 20. He says, oh, let's read from verse 16 first. He says, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because he seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be where? In you. He says, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. 
yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. But you, sh- but ye see me, because I live, you shall what live. Remember, we had already called ourselves living stones, right? Just as Jesus. So it's Jesus is saying the same thing here. He says, because I live, you shall what live also. Now, at that day, what day? What day? Is it Monday, Tuesday? No. He's talking about the day of the resurrection. The day that he will be raised from the dead. He says, at that day, right, you shall know that what? I am in my Father. And you in me, and I in you. Verse 22. Jesus, Judas said unto him, not his carrot, Lord, how is it that thou will manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my word. My, now, when he says he will keep my words, it's the words that he has been saying, right? What he has been saying. He said, And my father will do what? Will love him and will come unto him and make our abode with him. So that means that the father destination is the believer the father's home is the believer the father's home is the believer so so when he says in my father's house there are many mansions he's saying in my father's household in my father's family right there are many temples dwellings where i will stay there are many places i will stay that is i will stay in many men that's what jesus is teaching that's exactly what he's teaching in christ jesus you see, we have, we have stayed so much talking about God forgiving our sins, right? We have stayed so much on that, right? But we have not really talked about the reality of sonship. The reality that we are in the Father's kingdom. We are in the family of God. That we are born of God. So when he says, in my father's house, there are many mansions. He's talking, he's not, he's not talking about us going to the father. Uh-uh. He's talking about the father coming to us. The believer is God's tabernacle. The believer is God's tabernacle. Because the Father dwells in us, we know the voice of the Father. Because the Father dwells in us, we know the voice of the Father. A stranger will look at himself and say, somebody who doesn't know that he's a son, will say that God is still breaking chains in his life. No, you know that song? Hey. Hey. Break every chain. You can only sing that song in a deliverance, in crusade. 
when you go for outreach, okay? Don't sing it in a believer's meeting. You say, why? Abba, the Bible says that he has Colossians chapter 1 verse 13. Eh? He says, in, in him, right, we have the forgiveness of sin. That word there is deliverance. Is deliverance. Let, let, let me show you. Let me show you. If you are a believer and you are going for the Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. Look at it. It says, Who had delivered us from where? From the power of darkness. Uh-huh. And had translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. In him we have redemption. We have redemption. So there is no deliverance that you need to go for. If there's any deliverance that you need, it's deliverance of knowledge. Just know. Begin to learn. Do you understand? So we are in that family. We are no, we are no more strangers or foreigners. That's what Ephesians chapter 2 verse 18 says. We are no longer strangers or foreigners. We have now been brought near Sometimes, maybe you have not prayed for one week. It's not good. Okay? It's good to pray. But even if you have not prayed for one week, you now begin to say, I don't, I don't feel God anymore. You're not even meant to feel him first. Okay? God's, God, is, God is far from me. He is not. If there's anybody that is far from anybody, it's you. Okay? Do you understand what I'm saying? God is not far. God is in you. E.W. Kenyon said that the believer must learn to be God inside minded. The believer must learn to be God inside minded. He must learn to rely on the power that is on the inside, on the ability that is on the inside. So there are no chains to break anymore in our lives. What we are called into is that we are called to walk in our realities. We are called to understand who we are and walk in it. That's what we are called. But if I don't know I am delivered, how can I walk in my deliverance? If I don't know I am God's righteousness, how can I walk in righteousness? If I don't know I'm a son of God, how can I walk as a son? Do you understand this? So, the believer is the home of God. God is father to you. He fathers you. There's nothing like, let us press into the presence of God. How do you press to somebody that is living inside you? How? How? How do you do it? Is here inside you. How? You are the home of God. You are God's address. The Father is alive in you.
Now, <clears throat> so let's go back to John 14 as we begin to close. Amen. I told you I'm almost done. <laughs> Praise God. Did I say as we begin to close? I know that person. I know. Okay. Yes, as we begin to close anyway. Now, so go back to John 14. Now let us look at verse 23 again. Now, he says, the later part, say, we will come unto him and make our abode with him. So, Jesus is in the Father, right? And what he does in his redemption is that in the Father, he makes room for us, right? He allows us to come into that relationship. He allows us to come into that same relationship. Not a different kind of one. Not that now, why I'm using the word same is that I'm saying that the same way the Father relates with Jesus is exactly the same way the Father relates with you. The same. The same exact way. Now, the reason why I'm going this route in this teaching, let me just, because I'm about to round up, is because when we begin to talk about the things of the Spirit, a lot of times, many people think that the things of the Spirit is something that I need to generate. I need to wait on the Lord. Okay? Now, you can wait on the Lord. It's okay. That's for yourself. You're not doing it for Jesus to walk in. So, many people think, also, many people think that the Spirit would have to come from above. Right? And those things are things that we want to address. Now, the reason why we also want to teach the things of the Spirit is because as a minister of the gospel, you must learn how to follow the Holy Ghost. You must learn it. The things of the Spirit can be taught. Praise God. It can be taught. It can be. And it is from understanding that you are God's temple. You are God's house. Are you listening? So, Jesus makes a place for us in the Father. The mansion that Jesus mentioned is the provision of the Father living in us. God's dwelling place. God's provision. Praise God. Praise God. Now, let me show you something that would help your understanding. If God lives in the believer, why then did they make temples for him in the text of the Old Testament? Hmm? Have you thought about that? Why then do they make temples? You know, there's tabernacle, right? Now, if you read the Old Testament, you see that there was a cloud that descended upon the tabernacle in the Old Testament, right? Huh? 
Was God there? Answer now. Was God there? Eh? Let me show you something. God was there, right? Okay. Praise God. Eh? Look at Exodus chapter 15. Next 20 minutes, I'll close, okay? Don't worry. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Okay. Not 20 minutes, oh. <laughs> Sorry. Less than that, actually. So look at Exodus chapter 15. I'll show you two places. Then we'll pick this up from tomorrow. Just Exodus 15. Are you there? Okay, look at verse 2. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. This is the, a song that Moses released when the children of Israel were finally brought out from Egypt. So let's go on. Is my God, and I will prepare him an habitation. My father's God, and I will exalt him. So Moses says, I will prepare him an habitation. The question is, did Moses know that God doesn't dwell in temples? Now, look at Exodus 29. Quickly, just quickly. As I just want to show you about three scriptures, then we will close and we continue. Exodus 12, chapter 29, verse 45. 45. He says, I will dwell among the children of Israel, and I will what? I, I will be their God. The word I will dwell among there is actually that I will dwell in and be their God. So if God is saying I'm going to dwell in the children of Israelite and I will be their God, how come, right, there was an idea of the tabernacle? The thing is, God never asked anyone to build a temple for him. Go to Acts chapter 7. Quickly, quickly, Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. So the question we're going to see next tomorrow, <laughs> keep on saying, I almost said next week. The question we're going to see tomorrow is that, so why was the temple built? But let me just show you this. Acts chapter 7. Are you there? Verse 44. Acts chapter 7, verse 44. This is Stephen. He's preaching. Acts 7, 44. He says, our fathers had the tabernacles of witness. He's talking about Exodus, okay? He says, in the wilderness, as he had appointed, speaking unto Moses, that he should make it according to the fashion that he had seen. He says, which also our fathers, that Jesus came, um, okay, that came after, brought it with Jesus. Jesus, there's Joshua, please. Joshua. Joshua, not Jesus Christ. It's Joshua, okay? It says, into the position of the Gentiles, whom God gave, whom, whom God drove out before the face of our fathers until the days of David. 
He's talking about what when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, they started defeating the Canaanite, the Amalekite, and Joshua was the one that did that. Verse 46. Who found favor before God and desired to find a tabernacle for the God of Jacob? He says, but Solomon built him an house. Verse 48. Huh? Please can we read verse 48 together? He says, How be it the most I dwelleth not in temples made with words? This tells you of all the temples built in the Old Testament text that God was not there. Are you seeing it? The most I dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Now, Stephen is quoting. Isaiah chapter 66 verse 1. That's what Stephen is quoting. Isaiah chapter 66 verse 1. Don't worry. I'm, I'm done. I'm done. I can see that thing. You know? <laughs> Staring at me. I'm done. Okay? Let me just give you a conclusion so of where we're going to pick up tomorrow. Isaiah chapter 66. Are you there? He said, Does hear the Lord? The heaven is my throne, and the earth is what? Where is the house that you what? And where is the place of my rest? Vasu. For all things at for all those things at my hand made, and all those things have been, said the Lord. But what? To this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of contract spirit. And trembled at my word. Stephen tells us that God does not dwell in temples made with hands. And in Isaiah chapter 66, verse 1 to 2 that we just read, we see, we just saw that what God desires is what? Man. He said, but to what? To this man. Are you saying that? So that means that God's idea all along was to live in man. So why were they temples in the Old Testament? Praise God. Why were they physical buildings in the Old Testament? We're going to see this tomorrow. Okay? Now, as we as we as I close right now, what I want you to begin to hold on to in the course of this meeting, right? Is that you should begin to see that the believer when he looks at himself what should come to his understanding is that he is God's temple. Hmm? God's home and God's address. That is what you should look at. That means when Jesus says, I will give him access into the kingdom of heaven, he's saying that the believer already has the resources of God's temple. The resources of God's ability in him. And the idea of this meeting is so that we will walk in those resources. The wealth of God. Praise God. And one of them is God's spirit. Hallelujah. Praise God. Let's just stand up and worship God. Let's just worship him.
and thank him that we are assembled today. We are sons, we are in the family. 